culture is experiencing a crisis of thinking and understanding on this very issue. Previous societies have gotten confused about what it means to be a man in the sense of character and in the sense of relationships. But our society has gotten so confused, we're not even sure what it means to be a man biologically anymore. Uh, The ideas of second wave feminism and pro-LGBT groups have gone mainstream and made all discussions related to gender foggy for many people in our nation. The most vulnerable are our children. Uh, There are many young boys today who are being presented with competing notions about what it really means to be a man. In some circles, manhood itself is considered a negative thing. Men are treated as brute oppressors or as fools driven by their fleshly desires. Uh, They say that the time of the male has come and gone. And in fact, there are very few positive examples of manhood to be found on our TV screens or in the movies. But that's why we gather here each Sunday. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. We've come here this morning to set aside the mixed messages of our culture and to seek the only opinion that really ultimately matters. On the issue of manhood, we want to know, what does God have to say? God's statement is the final statement. God's word is the truth. The opinions of men change from generation to generation, but the word of God stands forever. So according to the Bible, what does it mean to be a real man? We're not going to address the transgender movement this morning and the confusion related to that. We've done that at various times, especially over the last couple of years. What we're addressing this morning is the character question. What is it about a boy's character that would make him no longer a boy, but now a man? What is the mark of maturity In a man. What is the mark that a boy has grown up into spiritual manliness? And to answer that question, I want us to look at 1 Kings chapter 2. In this passage, King David is about to die. What we have in these verses are his parting words of counsel to his son Solomon. Anytime a father gives counsel to his son, there is reason to listen. But last words have special significance. Last words, dying words, tend to be of particular importance. And all the more when they are given from this great king to the son who would take his place on the throne of Israel. And so look with me at David's parting words of counsel to Solomon 
in verses 1 through 4. Four verses. This is the very word of God. When David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon his son, saying, I am about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in His ways and keeping His statutes, His commands, His rules, and His testimonies. As it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. That the Lord may establish His word that He spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Well, our outline this morning is a very simple one. I want us to see first the need for mature manhood, second, the mark of mature manhood, and then third, a model of mature manhood. So the need for mature manhood, the mark of mature manhood, and a model of mature manhood. So first, the need. We can sum up the need for mature manhood in our passage in two words. Heavy responsibility. Heavy responsibility. Put yourself in Solomon's sandals. Solomon is about to be entrusted with the throne of the kingdom of Israel. His stewardship of that office would have great implications for the people of that nation. If Solomon acted wisely, God had promised that not only he, but the nation would be blessed. The people would be blessed. If Solomon ruled foolishly, selfishly, sinfully, then not only he, but also the people of the nation he served would reap the consequences. A burden was about to be placed upon Solomon. A sacred trust was about to be handed to him. And if Solomon was going to rule well, he needed to grow up. He needed to be a mature man. Mount Hermon, responsibility and mature manhood go hand in hand. In the very beginning, God created man, and the very first thing He does is give the man responsibilities. Adam was to fulfill his calling as a man, different from all the other creatures, by exercising dominion over the earth. He was called to tend the garden. To name the animals. He was called to to have the welfare of the earth God had created in his stewardship. Indeed, the welfare of the animals and the garden and the earth would depend on his actions and his decisions and his care. Man was created to be a responsible being. Eve was created to be a helpmate to Adam. And this means that women too were created for responsibility. And a lot of what I'm saying this morning about what it means to be a true man has real overlap with what it means to be a true woman. But there are distinctions. 
Adam was to be responsible for Eve in a way that Eve was not to be responsible for Adam. Eve was given to Adam by God as a gift to be loved and cherished and honored by him. And she was now part of his responsibility. And his masculinity would be expressed as he sought to lead her and provide for her and protect her. And similarly, once children were born, they were first and foremost his responsibility. Mothers are often more directly responsible for children in the sense that they are normally the ones spending the majority of the time with them, nurturing them as they grow. But Adam was made to be a responsible being, including being responsible as the head of his home. And so both in the garden and in his home, Adam was called to have dominion. He was entrusted with a stewardship. He was called to bear a sacred responsibility. And Mount Hermon, I would simply suggest to us that one of the marks of true biblical manhood is the desire for greater and not lesser responsibility. I had this conversation with a friend not too long ago. Remember the parable that Jesus told about the men who were entrusted with the master's talents? They were given a stewardship, and while the master was away, their job was to wield those talents in such a way that they would produce more. Growth was the goal. Prosperity was the goal. Increase was the goal. And when the master returned, he asked these men to show what had they done with the talents that had been entrusted to them. And there was one fellow who had been given five talents, and we are told he had at once begun trading with them. He had conducted business. He was faithful. He was skillful in investing money. And now the five talents had become ten. He had been a good steward. And he presents the ten talents to the master. And what does the master say to him? Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. And how does that servant respond? Oh no. Please not that. Don't set me over much. I was okay managing five talents or even ten, but you're going to give me more responsibility? Master, you're going to trust me with more stewardships? No, thank you. I'm content with managing just a little bit. Is that how he responds? Of course not. The Bible assumes that being given greater and greater responsibility, being given increasing stewardships is an honor, a reward, something to be celebrated. Great men are not those who shirk responsibility, avoid responsibility, hand off responsibility. Great men are those who desire to be entrusted by God with much. They learn to serve Jesus in greater and greater ways. And this means having a desire to be found faithful with their current stewardships so that Christ might entrust them with even greater stewardships in the future. I see something kind of shameful 
the American church today, and I, I bet you see it too. A lot of men who lack holy ambition. Uh, they don't want to get that promotion at work. They don't want to rise higher in the company. They don't want to embrace a greater sphere of service in their community. They don't want to have greater influence in the world around them. Rather than taking on that big project or pursuing that great idea, they find their happiness in an ungodly form of contentment. A contentment built on laziness. A contentment built on being satisfied with a little stewardship. In the local church, we're told that a man who aspires to the office of overseer, desires a noble task. Our boys should grow up wanting to be elders, wanting to be deacons, wanting to one day be entrusted with helping care for God's people. Real men long to hear Jesus say, you've been faithful over a little. Let me give you a little more. Now be faithful here. And now I'll give you a little more. Be faithful here. Men in this room, boys in this room, do you desire to be entrusted with great things for God? Do you desire responsibility, even with all the costs that accompany it? Manhood and responsibility go hand in hand. Some of you guys may need to go out to that box and dig your ministry survey back out. Look over it again, right? Are there ways that I could be responsible for more for Christ's sake in serving this body? Might Christ entrust me with a little more for the glory of His name? Is there a holy ambition to do much for Jesus in your heart? Or when you think of greater responsibility, do you simply think, oh, that's more headaches. I got enough headaches. That's more trouble. I got enough trouble in my life. There is joy in carrying a cross for the name of Jesus. But let us hear this. If we are to succeed in the responsibilities given to us by Christ, we must seek maturity. The need for mature manhood is as great as the responsibilities that God has placed on our lives. The more responsibilities you've been given the more your need for maturity. This is why some 30-year-old who has no job and no wife and still lives with his parents, he cannot grow up. He hasn't had to grow up. He hasn't had that responsibility placed on him that requires maturity. It is responsibility that creates the need for maturity. So that's the need. Number two. I see an hour of mature manhood. And I believe this passage is very helpful because of how it helps us make sense of what it means to be a real man. David says to Solomon, be strong and show yourself a man. So clearly there is a connection between showing yourself a man and being strong. But what is Solomon to be strong in doing? What kind of strength is David talking about here? Is he talking about physical strength? Do we measure a person's 
manliness in Christ based on physical strength? No. The kind of strength that David has in mind is explained in verse 3. When he says, Be strong, Solomon, and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in His ways, keeping His statutes, His commandments, His rules, and His testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. True manliness is presented in our passage as being strong in obedience to God. The wimpy man, the boy is not strong in obedience. When the temptation comes to disobey, he gives in quickly. He has no resolve. He has no muscle. He has no backbone. But the man of God is different. When the temptation comes, he's committed to faithfulness. The man of God is committed to the master who called him. And he will not give in so easily. He will work with all his might To obey God even when it hurts. What is the biblical mark of mature manhood? Here's my definition. Mature manhood is marked by a strong commitment from a man entrusted with responsibility to obey God no matter what the temptation or cost. So I'll say that again. Mature manhood is marked by a strong commitment from a man entrusted with responsibility to obey God no matter what the temptation or the cost. Biblically defined, manhood is all about being committed to faithful obedience. And you might say, but Justin, hold on a minute. What about faith? You're talking about obedience and being faithful and keeping God's commands. But shouldn't it be faith that marks a mature man of God? Well, dear friend, faith is vital. Faith is absolutely essential. There will be no mature man apart from faith. Solomon will not have the courage or the confidence to do what is right when it is hard if he's not trusting in his God. If he's not trusting in the sovereignty of God and the goodness of God and the promises of God, Solomon will not have the strength to do what is right if he is not depending on the God who promised to bless his obedience. If Solomon is not trusting in a God who is massively bigger than his circumstances, he will not be faithful. And so I want to make sure we hear this clearly. There is no mature manhood apart from faith. But faith is not the distinguishing mark of mature manhood. It's the root. It's the root of mature manhood. But obedience is the fruit. Obedience is the outward distinguishing mark of a godly man. If you want to separate the boys from the men, spiritually speaking, you don't look first and foremost at their profession of faith. Professions are easy. You look first and foremost at obedience. Jesus said, by their fruits, you will know them. Why does that distinction matter? It matters because far too many men claim to have faith while their lives are not marked. By obedience to Jesus. It doesn't cost 
you anything. At least it hasn't in recent decades in our culture. It hasn't cost you anything to say you trust God. It hasn't cost you anything to say that you love Jesus. Now, now we may be entering new territory. It may get to where that's going to start costing. But up to this point, it's been easy to profess faith. The measure of a man is not in his profession. The measure of a man is whether or not he trusts God enough to actually do what he says when it's hard. The measure of a man is whether he's willing to follow Jesus when it costs him, when it hurts him, when it brings pain into his life. Solomon, when your counselors are all around you and they're telling you to do this, but you know the law of Moses says to do that. And the people won't like it. Your approval rating, Solomon, is going to go down. Will you do the right thing? Be strong, Solomon. Show yourself a man. Do the right thing. And trust your God to bless. A man can be counted as a man in proportion to his willingness to sacrifice and die to himself for the service of King Jesus. How committed, men, are we to being faithful in the responsibilities that God has given us? Will we sacrifice our own wants in order to better love our wives? Will we deny ourselves for the sake of our children? Will we put the needs of our family and the needs of others above our own? When we're tempted to be dishonest at work, do we give in? When we're asked to complete a task, can we be trusted to do it well and in a complete and timely manner? Will our attitudes and our speech and our actions, will they serve the cause of Christ or will they hinder the cause of Christ? Here is the question for us men and ladies. Are we doers of the word and not hearers only? I don't care if you have muscles like the Incredible Hulk. If you are not living a life of resolved commitment to obey God, spiritually you are a boy and not a man. If I am not living with a committed resolve to obey God, I am a boy and not a man. I am a child. On the other hand, if your physical muscles are tiny, if you're only 10 years old, and the only responsibility you have is to obey your parents and to do your schoolwork, but you're resolved to do that faithfully for the glory of God, then you are a real man. The devil fears that 10-year-old boy much more than that muscular, disobedient man. That boy can do more good for the kingdom of God and more damage to the kingdom of evil than many four times his age. Even a ten-year-old can be a spiritual warrior. Strong. A real man. Finally, notice here a model of mature manhood. A model. It is a wonderful thing. When a father is a model of mature manhood for his sons. It's a rare thing. It's not common. 
And wherever it is found, it ought to be identified as a wonderful thing. I, I was raised in a home with a godly dad. And I praise God for my dad because of the model that he set for me. In Solomon's case, this man who is charging him on his deathbed to keep the commands of God is a man who had modeled faithful obedience for him. David had been an example of mature manhood for his son. Now, it's possible that your first thoughts when you hear me say that are not about why David is a good example of mature manhood for Solomon, but why he's a bad example. We tend to harp on the negative, don't we? We think of David, and maybe we think first of David's disobedience, his terrible sin with Bathsheba. And let's not beat around the bush. It was a terrible sin. It likely amounted to rape since she was under pressure from the king of the land. And then we think about David arranging the death of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. And so we have David as a, as a rapist. We have David as a murderer. And, and not just the murderer of an innocent man, but of a heroic man. Uh, Uriah was a man who was serving his king in battle courageously at great risk to himself. And then there are other sins that maybe come to your mind. Remember that unholy census that David commanded to be conducted? Or his unwillingness to rebuke his son Amnon when he needed to? Yes, David was a sinful man. But friends, these things were not the mark of David as a king. These things were not decisive for David's legacy. David is remembered as the greatest of the kings of Israel. After David, the people of Israel would long, even to our present day, for another David to sit on the throne. How is David remembered as a man after God's own heart? David was a man who loved his God, trusted his God, and despite some major falls, was resolved to be faithful to his God. So we see David's obedience, even when he was a boy. He was obedient to his father, faithful as a shepherd, willing to even fight wild animals in order to fulfill the responsibility of protecting the sheep. When Saul and the men of Israel lacked faith, David trusted God and defeated the giant Goliath. Faith was the root. His marching out onto that battlefield was the fruit. And God blessed. David was obedient to wait on the Lord. Unlike Saul, who was so impatient when the prophet Samuel was delayed and Saul made that hasty sacrifice, David was the opposite. He, he patiently awaits the day when he will receive the throne promised to him. He even has opportunities to kill Saul, opportunities to take the throne by force, and he will not do it. He will not sin against his God. He waits on the Lord's timing. David was obedient in prayer. Rather than ruling Israel in his own strength, the Psalms show us how he was constantly seeking wisdom and direction from the Lord. In 2 Samuel, we read that David inquired of the Lord when enemies came out against Israel. 
Even when his own life was in danger, God called, uh, sorry, David called on God to protect him. And he did not shrink back from his enemies. 2 Samuel 2.25 could have been written on David's tombstone. It says, And David did as the Lord commanded him. Over and over, we learn in Scripture how David obeyed what God had told him to do. 2 Samuel 24, verse 19. So David went up at God's word as the Lord commanded. Even after David's terrible sin with Bathsheba, we see him repentant, we see him confessing his sin, and we see him owning his sin. He accepts the consequences, as painful as they were, the death of his child. And and yet he humbles himself before God. Had he hardened his heart like Saul, he would have been a wicked king. But it was his willingness to confess his sin, to turn from his sin, and to renew his obedience that made him the great king he became. And so now, here he is at his death. And David is calling on his son to imitate his own example. He is saying to Solomon, Solomon, show yourself a man. What a gift that Solomon knew what a man was. Because his father had shown him. Men in this room, what kind of legacy are we leaving for our sons and our grandsons? In a culture that is giving our kids and grandkids so many false notions of what it means to be a man. Are we showing them by our own lives what real manliness looks like? Have they learned from us biblical masculinity? When we are old and gone, the question is not whether our grandchildren or great-grandchildren will remember us. The question is whether or not we will have cultivated a family of real men by our example and instruction. Who cares whether they remember us three or four generations from now? It doesn't matter. Nicholas von Zinzendorf, don't know who he is, but he famously said, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Although we remember his name, which doesn't quite fit. right? But he said, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. In your own home, in your own family, live out the gospel. Teach your family the gospel. Show them biblical truth, and then die and be forgotten. Let your legacy be not that they know your name, but that there is still godliness in your sons and your grandsons and your great-grandsons because of God blessing your attempts to model that for them. David is not our ultimate model of mature manhood. The truest man is Jesus Christ himself. No one stood more strongly in obedience to God when it was hard than Jesus Christ. No one has been more faithful to God and no one has been given greater responsibility. God the Father has now entrusted His Son with all authority in heaven and on earth. In Revelation, we see Jesus as the one counted worthy to take the scroll containing all of God's plans for history. And Jesus, as the sovereign one, will now work out the Father's plans according to the Father's will. 
John 6, Jesus says, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. John 14, 31, Jesus said, I do as the Father has commanded me. Even when it means a cross. Think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. No man in the history of the world has experienced such temptation as Christ experienced in his final hours. God's will, God's command, was for Jesus to go to the cross and bear not only physical torture, but the very wrath of God against sinners poured out on the human soul of Christ. And frankly, any other man would have run away. I can pretend like I wouldn't have. If it was me, I'd have been faithful. We're talking about the wrath of God, folks. Any man, any woman, anybody would have run far away. But Jesus prayed, Father, not as I will, but as you will. And he obeyed his Father, even to the point of death on a cross. At the beginning of this message, I quoted Elizabeth Elliot who said the world cries for men who are strong. Strong in what? Strong in conviction. Strong to lead. Strong to stand. Strong to suffer. Jesus Christ is the ultimate man of conviction. The ultimate man of leadership. The ultimate man of standing when it's hard. The ultimate man who was willing to suffer when it was right. And because of Jesus' obedience, the way of salvation has been opened to all who will turn from their sins and believe on Him. And so this message is a call for all of us, men, women, boys, and girls, to be a people of resolved obedience. But Mount Hermon, we have to go to the root in order to have the fruit. We cannot be people of obedience unless we are people of faith. You will never have the heart, nor the will, nor the backbone to obey God in difficult circumstances unless you have come to know and live in and dwell in and abide in God's mercy towards you and His love for you given in Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven and God is our Father. Through Jesus Christ, we are loved with an unimaginable love, saved from a horrendous hell, headed towards an an amazing heaven. We must live in the gospel. We must be like the Psalm 1 person whose roots are deep in the word of God so that we can be like a tree who produces its fruit in season. Live in who you are in Christ if you want to be a person of resolved obedience. If you've never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray you will do so this morning. For those of us who have, let us live in God's love Let us draw strength from His promises. Let us abide in the security that God provides. And let us be mature men. And let us be mature women for the glory of God. Amen? May God make it so. Let's pray.